When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's Fulhamish Podcast. My name is Sammy James. This is your weekly audio ticking time clock until the start of the brand new Fulham season. With me in the studio tonight is Mr. Jack Collins. Hello, listeners. Mr. Ben Jarman. Hello, friends. And Mr. Farrell Monk. Everyone's called by a title tonight. Hello. <laughs> Good start. Very mundane. <laughs> so, eight was the magic number this weekend, guys. Do you know why? We ate to talk about it. Yeah, exactly. Well, it was an historic eighth Wimbledon men's title for Roger Federer. And it was also the amount of goals we conceded in the friendly against Chelsea on Saturday. But despite some dodgy defending from Jallo and co, there's still plenty to be excited about in this episode. We're going to be chatting about Diego Roland. We're going to speak Shock. to uh, French journalist Jean-Sébastien Ronde. He also sounds authentic, doesn't he? Exactly. He sounds JS. JS. We're also going to be talking about Piazon rejoining on loan from Chelsea for the season. All the reaction to Ryan Sessegnon and Tayo Eden's brilliant European Championship win on Saturday night. Uh, we're also going to be speaking to Bleach Report's Dean Jones about the Yukanovich rumours and more. And also Ivan Berry is making his Fulhamish debut for a little bit of a chat at the end of the show. I'm very excited. We all are. We're very excited in general. Yes. Number one, Ivan Berry. Hey! That's <laughs> yeah, <laughs> as he storm. Uh, but first, I, I think we maybe should talk about uh, the friendlies in the past week. So we've played uh, both of our uh, South West London rivals. Uh, we faced uh, Queen's Park Rangers, technically West London rivals, uh, Queen's Park Rangers, uh, in a friendly. We beat them 4-2. That was quite a convincing result. Uh, it was then, their under-23s. Yeah, 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 but let's gloss over that. Uh, <laughs> and then we faced a slightly more formidable uh, Chelsea side on Saturday evening. Unfortunately, they're over-23s. Yeah, bit of a shocking 8-2 defeat. How much can you read, though, into what we saw on Saturday? It was still a little bit worrying. I know you can say don't take pre-season too seriously, but some of that defending on show uh, was a little concerning. I'd say diabolical, if, I, um, <laughs> if I'm being perfectly honest. Um, we were really not very good at the back, and I think we gave away two penalties, was it? And also just we just generally just looked very uncomfortable at, at the back through the whole game, and... Um, I really don't like Tim Ream going back to left back. I'm gonna I'm gonna put it out there now. That wasn't fun. I didn't enjoy that at all. I know Sess is away, and and there's something to be said for that. But I really think that we need to maybe sort that out. But in general, yeah, we look vaguely dangerous going forward sometimes. And uh, Tom Kenny did not make Golo Kante highlight of the day, uh, and we scored a penalty. But aside from that, yeah, it was a pretty poor day all round. Well, I think there's something to be said about a six foot four massive black hole in the middle of the defence called Marcelo Jallo, who doesn't really do anything apart from sort of stand there. Um, it's clear, quite clear, although we're just in pre-season, he's only played a handful of games for us, that he's clearly not going to be good enough to start in the championship and hopefully will only just get a handful of games for us throughout the season because, as we highlighted on our article not long ago on Fulhamish, he's very slow he's very sluggish he doesn't have the best perception of the the play and he just got torn to pieces and I echo Jack's sentiments Remit right back is never going to work one of those things though that we do have to 
you know remember in that respect is that he is also playing with Ragnar next to him, which is is not a particularly mobile strike uh, defensive pairing at the best of times. So perhaps we have to take that slightly at light, and it would be unfair to judge Jello completely on his performances while alongside someone who's, you know, full stop been a flop at the club. And I think that. I, while I agree with you, and I think that he isn't probably good enough, I think we also have to take that slightly with a pinch of salt until we see him properly in a in a back four, which which is generally where we're going to be going. Yeah, well, I I kind of agree with that. I guess we're looking all we're looking for Sigerson to improve a little bit more next season. I just feel like Jallo will be someone that in a couple of years' time, when we come to do a forgotten Fulham eleven again, he will be one of them. Um, I don't see him making a a huge impression here. And to pluck him from the obscurity that we've probably already talked about on the podcast and in the articles as well and expect him to do well is, is quite a long shot. It's one hell of a baptism of fire, though, isn't it? To mm. face uh, Chelsea, uh, William, Batshuayi, Remy uh, mm. on your first appearance in England. Or maybe second, because he did actually play on the tour in Poland, didn't he? But yeah. Um, yeah. Farrell, how much are you reading into what you saw on Saturday? It was a little bit concerning, but at the end of the day, it's still pre-season. It's kind of six of one, half a dozen of the other. I found it funny more than anything, to be honest. Uh, I don't really read too much into friendlies, although, I mean, slightly worrying, yes, but like Ream at left back, we're not going to see Ream at left back ever again, I don't think. Hopefully. Hopefully. I mean, there's still no replacement for Malone as yet. Um, But yeah, I mean, they weren't at full strength, but this is a Chelsea team that won the league at absolute canter or cante last season. So. you know, I, I don't want to read too much into it, but it was worrying to see that our what hopefully will be our two second-choice centre-backs, and it's it's going to be that way the, the rest of the season because Jallo didn't look very good. Sig- Sigurdsson, I don't think, is good enough for the, for the championship, you know, even at 31 now, I think he is. Um, you would think that's prime age for a, um, for a centre-back, and it, it doesn't bode well. So hopefully it's just confirmed in Yukanovic's eyes that we it's a position that we need to make sure that we're um, fully on top of. Although those first two first two goals did seem to be just random balls over the top, and I mean at first glance you're like surely they're offside. We but, had no way of knowing because there was only no. one camera angle that wasn't that wasn't covering it. Yeah, but it just seemed to be that everyone just kind of knew it was. Um, offside and and Jallo running back as what seemed like as fast as he could was getting absolutely nowhere <laughs> even close um, Slightly more positive though on the friendly front was uh, the performance uh, in the week uh, against admittedly a youthful looking uh, Queen's Park Rangers team uh, including a wonderful strike from Ibrahim Assise technically going down as an own goal one of those goals that really doesn't deserve to be uh, an own goal uh, but impressive for him to make his mark and um, I'm I'm really hoping for a couple of Papa Booba Diop worldies from him this season I'm not sure if we should expect too many of them he's only scored three goals or something in his professional career so but expect 20 stri- this season yeah well I mean with a strike like that then you know you might be on to a winner there Sammy and I think he'll play with a little bit more expression and freedom than he probably did in that standard Liège side where he was just uh, the only holding midfielder they've, they've really got so I think um even if he goes box to box like Steph Joe or sits like McDonald does, I think um, he may weigh in with a couple. Yeah, it reminds me of like a, a Dixon or two type player that he was kind of he's he has come out since leaving Fulham that he said he was really really restricted 
under Roy Hodgson and he was kind of a little bit kind of annoyed because he couldn't express himself as as much as he could do because he at at prior clubs at Sunderland he was a box to box midfielder and Mark Hughes let him be a bit more of a box to box player and he did pipe up with a couple of goals after mm. that yeah. so maybe that's the same with Cisse yeah, I just don't think we can read again too much into it. If we're not reading too much into the eighties Chelsea, we can't read too much into a four-two victory over QPR under twenty-threes. And I think that that's you know something that we need to think about. That said, sixteen-year-old Matt O'Reilly scored, so that was nice. Nice for him to get on the old score sheet. Is he Irish by any chance? That's that's why you picked up on. I him. don't think he is. Um, he, well, I mean, he obviously is somewhere down the line, but I, I believe he plays for the. <laughs> I believe he plays in the England setup, so he's um, yeah. He's very much a homegrown player. Is there a Celtic fan somewhere in his family tree? Almost certainly, with a, with a name <laughs> like that. I mean, How if, far did you get on the old chant for O'Reilly? Um, oh, I tried for ages to get one to, to Baba O'Reilly, but it just it wasn't working. There was even with the teenage line in there, I was, I was struggling. But we'll, we'll get one out of, out of somewhere. I'll, I'll come up with something. Work in progress. Yeah, I think we're going to have to go down the, um, you know, the, maybe the magic hat route. That's a, that's well, always a good chant. That always goes down vaguely well. I think you might have a couple of years anyway to uh, mm. fully need the need. Yeah. We're going to write lots of songs this year, as usual, and we'll see about none of them coming off. We're but getting... it's all right. We're going to have a conversation with Ivan later about how we're going to get hi-host Steffi Hansen played before every game <laughs> <laughs> until it catches on. I think the Ibrahim Assise one might stick. And Actually, I need it to stick. Did you see the bet that I made with... Yeah. Uh, how many pints did you bet? I didn't bet uh, a pint. I bet... Um, a very large Twitter apology um, with someone who said that the Ibrahim Assisi chant won't be a thing this what was, season. What the was Cissé one again? Ibrahim, here we, here we go, go again. Cissé, how can I resist you? I did actually remember. I just wanted to hear it one uh, more time. Okay. Um, just wanted to hear my dulcet tones, didn't you, Farrell? <laughs> yeah, I, I will all week when I listen to the Fulhamish podcast. When that becomes day. a thing, when that becomes a thing in the first ten games, he has to write a huge Twitter apology to the Fulhamish podcast, saying how sorry he is and how repentant he is and Ooh. how he will always listen to us. I've actually forgotten his Twitter handle. I'm very sorry. It's somewhere on the Twitter. I will locate it. We'll get at, back. We'll get at, back to you on exactly. At Thomas Kenny ten. Yeah, exactly. I was chatting to Tom Kenny about it. I don't know why he. I thought that he had bigger things to worry about, but. One person that did make their debut in the Chelsea game, uh, their second debut for Fulham in the Chelsea game, was bizarrely Lucas Piazon against his mm. parent club. Signed for us on Friday, playing against his parent club uh, less than 24 hours later. Gave away a penalty as well. Exactly, doing little doing bits. <laughs> Contributed more for Agent his parents' Lucas. side than he did for us. Seemed to go down fairly well on Twitter, uh, the news of his re-arrival back at the cottage. Interesting looking back at his goals. Did you notice the trend between all of Lucas Piazon's goals last season for Fulham? They were absolute beauties. Yes, that is one of them. But they I was were looking all for some... set up by Sonia Luco? Quite a few of them were, but not all of them. Okay. All uh, against they're... teams in red. That was it. Yeah. Every... All scored by Lucas Piazon. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> Bonus point. <laughs> Every goal that Lucas Piazon scored last season against a team playing in red. Yeah. Wow, there we I go. I did notice that, actually. That's lastly, I mean, you could actually argue that Huddersfield were playing in more of an orange yeah, I guess so. than red. But, you know, still the similar shade. Anyway, I digress. What was your reaction to him <laughs> staying for another season? <laughs> I'm, personally, I'm quite pleased uh, about him coming back for the season because if Kearney, you know, like God forbid, gets injured, then I think we've got a bit of an able replacement to slot into that number ten role. I think he'd be a little bit better in there than Aite or Cabano or um, Aluko would be. 
technically actually very very good as we can see from all those six goals that we put up on um on the channels um when he re-signed um uh, jack's article references this and i hope he doesn't mind me nabbing it but he says that passion can only get you so far but i think like a luca um piazon sorry is, is full of it full of passion full of energy full of work rate and he offers a lot to the team that some people may not quite recognize but i think they probably will do if, as he tends to get more starts over the um, remainder of the season oh start of next season i am hashtag team piazon um, so, and as 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 you might have seen in the article, I just think he offers something you know slightly different. And like you know, like Ben says, that the number ten role is somewhere where I think he could flourish. But also, what what gets me is that you know while a lot of our wing play last year was brilliant in terms of going down the flanks, we often looked like we would you know starved of a second option. And I think Piazon cutting in as an inverted winger really does bring us that kind of different way to attack defences and that goal against Nottingham Forest is absolutely, you know, perfect yeah. example of how that comes across and how that works. And yeah, Piazon's passion is great and we we, we love it and it, <laughs> yeah. it's all very good. But actually it's what he offers in both a, an offensive and a defensive sense. We bear in mind that aside from Aluko, he's probably the hardest working midfielder we've got. Yeah. Um and I'd rather have him defending you know, one wing when we were one nil up with five minutes to play than I would have Floyd or, or Niskins because Piazon simply just is a bit of a workhorse in that respect. And yeah, he might not be as tricky as Aluko, as quick as Cabano, as strong as Aite, but he does offer something different. And I think that I'd rather have him in the 10 if Kearney was out than anyone else. And it also gives us a, an opportunity to rest Kearney in games like the League Cup and, and, and all that kind of stuff. And I think that it's just a good second option to have. We've not lost any money on this. Mm. He's, a, he's a squad player. And if he stays a squad player, that's fine. But I think he'll offer more this year. Mm-hmm. Do you think he's happy to be... That was one thing I was surprised about with him coming back. He's not guaranteed a first-choice starter every week, especially in the position he wants to play, which is probably that number 10 role, because that just is going to be Tom Kearney. And I don't think... Unless there was a enormous dip in form from Tom Kearney, you just can't see Piazon taking Tom's place at that number 10. So I'm quite surprised that he wants to come back to Fulham, back down a level in the second tier and fight for a place. I thought he might want to go maybe to a different club in the league that would guarantee him first-team football week in, week out. There might be two things at play. One might be that, with all due respect to Lucas Piazon, that there might not have been any offers on the table for him to go uh, to another Premier League club or at Chelsea. Um, although, weirdly, straight after they he announced, well, they announced that we'd got him on loan... He'd signed a new two-year contract with Chelsea, which was a bit of an odd one. Mm. But perhaps it's that... just to stop it. He had one year left on his deal. Yeah, and it's I think... just one of those things where he just don't. He, they have said to him, "We don't want to let you go on a free." Yeah, yeah. If you want to leave next summer, that's fine. But someone's going to have to pay for you, and he probably just went, "All right, fine." And there, you know, there might be something on the table that Fulham have an option to buy, but they just haven't reported it. Yeah, um, oh, more than likely. I, I think I think that's the more likely option here, and. Probably Piazzon thinks that Fulham is his long, where his long-term future lies. And he also loves the club. Yeah, he bloody yeah. does. And that's good. I've, I've never seen anyone, when Fulham score, anyone clench their fist as hard as Lucas Piazzon does. Yeah, he, he does like a squeeze of his own knuckles. Yes. I am a little worried that like a kid or a steward's going to get in the way of his fist pumps when he scores a goal. <laughs> this season and he is going to knock someone out cold I, I don't care if he scores <laughs> <laughs> take the sack ball boy yeah exactly I, was, I hope it's the same ball boy As from the Tottenham game yeah <laughs>
Oh, the infamous ball boy. That one that Eden Hazard kicked. <laughs> <laughs> He's had a real tough go at that kid. Yeah. Swansea away, watch out. <laughs> Uh, well, it was uh, our third signing in of the summer and there's been lots of debate uh, around Jukanovic, Klein, Khan and the transfer system that's been going on. Jukanovic getting more and more frustrated uh, with the transfer policy at Fulham. Um, with this in mind, we spoke to Bleach Report's Dean Jones uh, who hopefully will offer us a little bit more of an insight into the Yukanovich rumours. He was one of the journalists that broke the story uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and we started off by asking him to enlighten us on what he knew about the situation. Well, I mean, there was obviously the story in the mirror that had come out, um, kind of backed me off, sacked me. Um, I don't think Yukanovich would have himself put it in exactly those terms, but I saw that on the back of it, people immediately knock it down and say, call it paper talk and all the rest of it. But you, the thing is, you can't, you can't write something like that in a newspaper without it having some substance. You know, you'd get a little bit of legal action against you if you kept just making up stories. You know, journalists can't do that despite what people think, uh, particularly something like that. So, you know, stories like that don't come about without foundation. I've known for some time about what's going on with Yukanovich and, you know, the interfering that does happen behind the scenes. Um, He's been quite patient with it, to be honest with you. He's, he's accepted it as much as he can. That There are other aspects of the club in the way that it's run. It's not just solely him that, that has the control there in terms of transfers and, and ideas of what to do with the team. But ultimately, uh, um, you know, just speaking to people on the back of the story just to see you know, whether it was just the same old thing or whether it got worse, it, it, it just transpired that it had actually got a little bit worse recently, like almost at the end of last season, things hadn't got any better anyway, which you'd have hoped would have happened. Um, I think it's not so much the, just the transfers, which is a problem for Jukanovic. He accepts that there is this kind of money ball, as people call it, um, way of signing players. But it's more the fact that people like Klein are, are there behind the scenes and, they want analysts sitting in on meetings and they want to put across their own ideas to Jukanovic of how the team should be playing or what they should do in certain situations. And ultimately, Jukanovic is, is the coach. He's the, that is his job. He's got to decide how the team plays and the kind of players that should be doing that. And I think that that's the most frustrating thing for him, really. It's all very well incorporating stats into a club and, and deciding that that's the way that things are going to move forward. But he also needs to be his own man. And ultimately, I think that that's his biggest thing right now. I don't think he will walk away, but I just think it's not impossible that if things were to go really badly um, for him, that, that he would have to make a decision about what to do. I suppose it's one one thing to consider, you know, the the transfers from last summer. And there was a lot of talk about people saying, oh, we don't know who this is. We don't know who that is last summer. And, and you know, the majority of the players, you know, as far as we can see, which were signed, you know, on the back of kind of research and analysis, seem mm. to perform reasonably well. And we thought that maybe because of that, this summer would be a little bit easier. And I suppose that it's, you know, testament to Jukanovic's kind of metal and, and, and that he has stuck around, but also that he still wants to be his own man. And I suppose that's kind of the character he is and, and what we're looking for in a manager in terms of, his strength and innate strength in a situation something like the Chris Martin situation last year comes at a price, I suppose. Yeah, definitely. You know, he, I think he'd made it clear as well that we didn't have enough strength to get over the line last season. And if they'd followed a little bit of, of what Jukanovic wanted in terms of, you know, another striker that he wanted, he wanted another centre-back, 
um, in the January window, if you'd have just followed him on those two things, if we had an out-and-out goal scorer for the playoffs, probably would be in the Premier League right now. Um, so there's probably that bugging away at him as well, just, just niggling in the back of his brain that he knows we were so close. And you see Huddersfield go up. You think, well, we're better than Huddersfield. We should, we should be in the Premier League. I shouldn't be having to do this all over again. I think one thing to be said, though, is that at least since the story came out um, about Jukanovic, that there have been signs that, that players are coming in now. Um, you know, there's been a couple added and um, signs that others are on the way. So I, I guess that's one positive to take from it. You know, I don't, I'm not down on Fulham. I, I can appreciate the fact that they've got a plan um, they've got a way of doing things now, which is, is different to how things have been done in the past. But football moves on and you kind of have to accept that. Uh, but I also, as a Fulham fan, don't want um, to see Jukanovic leaving. So um, it's a tricky one. And I, I think that the fans should just appreciate really that there's truth to both sides of it, really. Yeah, uh, that's definitely true. And you pick up, you do make a very good point that football has changed. Do you think there is still that confidence that Jukanovic can pick up the right players? I think that certainly things will get better because they pretty much have to. Um, I think that Fulham have a good squad. I think that Jukanovic deserves a lot of credit for the way that he managed to even get the team into the position that he did last season. Though I think that early on you saw what he was trying to do with the team and the passing style that, that he kind of had them playing in and you couldn't see it happening with the players and just slowly, slowly that belief grew within the side and that is just proof that coaching still works. You know, people do think these days that you have to go and spend big money in transfer windows in order to have any success. And it's not true. You don't have to spend big money. You just have to spend money in the right areas. And that's obviously something which in the transfer windows since Fulham were relegated from the Premier League hadn't really happened. You know, you look at past managers and past signings that were coming in and it, it was all very slapdash really and we were left with layers and layers of players that had been signed from different managers and it was a complete mess basically so Jukanovic has come in and he has managed to kind of shape the team he's shaped the squad and he's got them playing in a certain way so I hope that the, that they can all come together and kind of be on the right page and that when they're recommending players to each other that there can be a bit more give and take as to, as to what exactly needs to happen. You know, you kind of it does still have a voice. I don't want it to sound like, you know, he's completely ignored. He's not ignored. Um, but sometimes I'd, I'd like to see players signed on a hunch that they could be right for the team. Irrelevant of looking into every stat, every pass, every shot, every mile run from the season before. I, I just, I can appreciate that that is an important part of the game now. But there is still the old school style of football, particularly in the championship, which counts for so much. And I think when you look at Fulham's best players from last season and you look at McDonald and you look at, at Kearney and they're just players who who understand the division and you just want players like that for their character as much as what they can actually give technically. And in, in that kind of respect, do you think that, you know, the players that Fulham have been, have been linked with this window are, are, are the kind of players that, you know, will do... Will do damage to a championship team but also you know is there any players that you've seen on you know on the radars that haven't been so widely speculated as, as the ones that we're all seeing every day not really no I have to say that uh, one thing that's changed at Fulham 
um, in the past year or so is that it has actually become more difficult. Anyway, for me as a journalist, uh, I can't speak for every journalist, but in terms of finding out Fulham's targets, it's definitely changed a little bit. Um, so it's not been as clear always in the transfer window exactly which rumours are true and which ones aren't. It's, it's very strange now reporting on all of this. Um, you know, in, in my job at Bleacher Report, I, I report across, you know, the Premier League as well. Mainly, that's my job. Um, and a lot of stories now come from foreign sources because English football has become such a closed shop and it's so hard to get to know the players and the staff around, um, you know, championship sides and Premier League sides. So I guess get the same information. I guess the one that's been really doing the rounds um, is Diego Roland. I mean, he freely seemed to tout himself uh, that he was at Wimbledon and that he was in London over the past few days. Uh, does there seem to be any truth in the rumours that you're hearing as far as it's concerned, or is it still a lot of paper talk at the moment? I think it seems like it's certainly something that's been in the pipeline. And I think that um, it's actually a player that would probably suit Fulham. I think that he's got great movement. You know, I've, since the rumours have come about, like anyone else, you go straight and, and look for videos of him, and I think he looks a good player. But, you know, I do think that also, if he is coming, I don't believe that that will be the end of it, because I think Jukanovic wants a different style forward from that as well. I think that he'll want this, I don't want to say Chris Martin player, but somebody like that who, who kind of holds the ball and keeps the shape of the team very well at times, you know seems to me that, that Roland really has good movement and is sharp and makes good runs. Um, but there is going to be still that element for me lacking that, that you just want that actual central holding striker that kind of scores the simple goals and, and allows to, uh, to link up play with midfield. So I don't believe that that would be the end of things if, if they did get this one over the line. But it, it would be a good sign of yeah, we we spoke we spoke about it quite a lot last week about the type of player Roland is, and you know um, he does seem to be a bit of a big signing for any team in the championship. But as you were saying, like maybe it won't go over the line, maybe it will. But what are your feelings ahead of the season anyway? I'm optimistic, to be honest. I I think that um, you know, forgetting all the stuff that goes on behind the scenes, um, this is a team that actually get on with each other, which is a massive thing, particularly if of Fulham teams that we've seen in the past couple of years. You know, there didn't seem to be much harmony about them. They didn't seem to, um, you know, get on as a team. I'm not saying they were all arguing with each other, but there just seems to be a unit about this lot. They seem to all be pulling in the direction. They know what's expected of them because of Jukanovic's direction. And I think that there's every reason to believe that we can be in an even stronger position than last year. I think that it's tough start to the season, but you've got to start it well. Um and that's got to give everyone belief. You just hope that there is that goal scorer and also that if Roland does arrive, that he um, continues to be good at penalties because that's obviously such a huge element of Fulham's season last season was they couldn't score penalties. Um, Dean, thank you so much for joining us on Fulhamish. Really interesting to hear your thoughts on the Yukanovic um, situation. Uh, what's your Twitter if uh, anyone listening wants to give you a little follow? If you want to give me a follow, I am on Dean Jones BR. Um, you can give me some stick if you want. I won't write back. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> I've already just started tweeting. <laughs> cheers, Dean. I'm just kidding. All right, cheers, guys. So cheers to Dean for coming on the podcast and lighting us a bit about the Ikanovic situation that he had a bit of an inside scoop on. Quite interesting to hear 
you know, the rumblings that go on behind the scenes, but also seems difficult for him to have a real gauge on what's going on at the club as it seems a lot more secrecy than maybe in years gone by. I think it's important, you know, when, when you think about as many things that go on in, in, in world football today, and especially in Britain and people hijacking transfers and all that kind of thing, that it's a good thing that Fulham keep their policies under wraps as much as possible. And I think that, yes, it makes it harder for us as fans and, and as journalists to, to, to get, you know, stories out of all these things, and especially in the silly season. But also, it means that when Fulham make deals, it goes through without, you know, as much fuss. And yes, this Roland one's come a bit, you know, clear as such. It's a little bit too transparent for my liking, if I'm honest. But, you know, Fulham tend to do their business quietly now and on the side and, and, and then and then they don't announce anything until everything's completely shut up, shop and done. And I think that's a good thing in the long run. And while it makes it harder to, you know, gauge the situation, it, it's got to be something that we think of as a positive. Totally agree, especially since that Fulham now go for the left field kind of transfers where they're not really known. I mean, it's quite difficult to actually gauge our transfers of players that we don't actually know too much about. And it might mean that other clubs in similar situations wouldn't know about them as well. And we don't want to give away potentially good signings at good value that other clubs would love to have and they never even thought of. All right, well, I think the other important result to discuss from the weekend, uh, looking away from Fulham's um, awful friendly defeat to Chelsea, uh, was Ryan Sessegnon and Tyo Eddins, England under-19s, uh, claiming a very deserved European Championship victory in the final against Portugal on Saturday. Uh, great for them uh, to have been involved with a winning side. Also, quite positive for England, all of their youth sides this summer doing very, very well uh, in international tournaments. Come on to that for a second. Uh, but that's going to be great momentum for Cess and Eden, who hasn't uh, done too much for us uh, so far. He done good. He done good there, yeah. <laughs> in a Fulham shirt. Admittedly, he did get sent off uh, on Saturday. But positive for them to come into the season on such great news. Yeah, they both did very well. Eden was actually doing really, 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 really well before he got sent off. The Although the two fouls that were for the yellow card were... Not good fouls, to be honest. Um, the, especially the second one for the yellow. It was very badly mistimed and very immature, dare I say it. Um, Sessegnon was largely quiet for a lot of the game. I think England were sitting back quite a lot. Um, but um, he, he did well when, he got, when they got the ball. They were trying to get it to him as much as possible because he was their brightest spark in the team. Um, but all credit to... Is it A.D. Boothroyd is the coach there? No, it's not A.D. Boothroyd. He's under 20s. I don't. I can't remember what this chap's called, but for a team full of kids that are obviously mostly under the age of 18, and some of them are 18, obviously Sess is just 17, so for them to play as well as they did, it's a very mature performance. They they looked assured for the most part all the way throughout the tournament. Sessegnon had... Well, some very impressive games during the early stages of the tournament and seemed to tail off a little bit. I think that's just the intensity of being at a tournament where you're playing every sort of 72 or 48 hours in the worst case scenario mm. and then having to train day in, day out in a in a place that's not obviously, you know, natural to, for you to be in, in Georgia, obviously. So um, I think it kind of caught up with him perhaps a little bit towards the end. But yeah, like everyone is saying here, it's fantastic for them two to have such a big achievement going into the season, and for Ryan to be potentially starting as our left back, that's some some very. 
big confidence morale boosters um, so close to the start of the season. It's... Do we expect Eden to make a little bit more of an impact in the side this season? He played just the once last year in the uh, cup game at Leighton Orient. I think he played oh, the full 90 in that him, game. He played him uh, against Middlesbrough as well. Yeah. Um, did he? Yeah, he did. He, yeah, played, he, played, um, he played left midfield against Oh, sorry, in the cup game. I thought you meant back in the league. Oh, no, no, no. He, Middlesbrough yeah, weren't in the league last year, Sam. No, 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 I realised that. I thought I meant that before <laughs> they got promoted. Okay, let's stop thinking I was in Sam. Um, <laughs> he, he played really well against Middlesbrough as well. Um, I, I guess you could see him breaking a little bit more in just cup rotation, but I think, obviously, with the four quite big hitting wingers we've currently got I don't think he could really make that much of a difference so it might be worth he did play further back though for yeah. England yeah, I, yeah, he I played think, left back didn't he I think it was a really interesting one yeah well he well Cess went obviously up towards the it was in part of the front three with uh, Brereton and um, Marcus Edwards to begin with and it was switched wasn't it mm-hmm. um, Brereton didn't start not in the final no, no but final, at, at the Brereton beginning of the said. tournament the, the oh, front wait, three mean, yeah. was Sessegnon Brereton and Marcus Edwards and, and Cess looks so much more assured in that forward role and it's so easy to forget that he's actually two years younger than this age group he's still playing well above his means and he was England's brightest spark and finished the tournament as joint top goal scorer that's an incredible record for someone playing already ahead of their years and you know the under 17s the on the 18 sorry did 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 well and they got to a they got to a final but Someone said at the time, they were like, well, you know, this is an under-18s team that's already missing the likes of Sessegnon. And there was a couple of others who'd made the jump up a little bit early. They've made it one year. Sess is two years above his his, his age station. Yep. And I think that it just goes to show quite how special this kid is. He, he's a real, real spark. And we're lucky that he's stayed an extra year. And I think that this year we will see him in more of an advanced role. I don't think we're going to see him that much at left back, no. if I'm perfectly honest with you. Uh, but I can see Tyo Eden coming into the side in a more defensive position, especially if we lose Ryan Fredericks, which has been touted this week again. Yep. And, you know, that's not the first time that's been linked this summer. And if we sign, if, you know, if we get rid of, of, of Fredericks and we leave ourselves in a position where, you know, Dennis Odoi's, you know, first choice starting right back, I would be happy very happy to watch Tyo Eden try and break into the side and that with some of the performances in the first first early stages of this tournament he looked absolutely exceptional in in that in a kind of unfamiliar position if you will and i think that we've got some real bright sparks coming through the academy and i think we need to we need to be starting to embed them and i know Silvisa, you know Silvisa isn't here to listen to me but he i think he has that kind of mentality already yeah mm. well for a manager that's managed in his, in his infancy over here, I think he understands what it's like to play in England, but also he has a lot of experience on the continent as well. So I think he understands what it's like for a club to actually make the most of their academy. And, and he, I think he's aligned with what we're trying to do in getting as many prospects out of that academy as possible. And, and you know, some will go and will make money and some will stay and they'll put, form part of the team. And I think he's fully on board with that. The only thing I'm saying is don't go too overboard on Eden because... To be fair, he's only playing against eighteen-year-olds. True, but what what a season for what summer um, for England as a, as a nation because every single one of our age groups got to nothing less than a semi-final. Yeah. And We'd, well, we've won in two age brackets and lost in the final in another. So I don't know what Eng- I don't know what England's record for the youth teams going back to intrinsically, but it seems to be that getting featuring in the le- latter stage of the tournaments for those youth teams is getting a more more regular more regular yeah. which hasn't seemed to be the in case, my, in my life yeah. in my lifetime and i assume that the other teams like germany and spain i mean i know i definitely know from germany that a lot of this team uh the um the current, current crop champ, yeah. the current crop have been playing with each other 
since they were in the under 18s, 19s and 21s. Well, you compare the... So England under 21s got to the final of the Euros in maybe t- early 2010s. I can't remember exactly yep. what With year Mark it was. Noble, Rio Ferdinand, those kind of guys. Oh, no, not No, Rio. Anton no, Ferdinand. No, Anton, yeah. Anton and, Ferdinand missed a penalty. And you compare the two sides and how actually barely any of the England team feature for the senior side now, yet about six or seven players that started that night for Germany are now senior players for the yep. first team. I think it includes the likes of Ozil and Kroos and mm-hmm. all those players that we are now know to be the bedrock of such a successful team. So I it, think there's a change in attitude in, in the British youth setup and especially in the English setup that it's back in those days managers weren't prepared to let their brightest stars go out to these tournaments or something because they were part of those club sides. And, you know, especially with players, you know, you think about Wayne Rooney, how quickly he was rushed into the England mm. setup, the senior setup. And, you know, even going back further, Michael Owen, they all made these, you know, big England debuts at, at 18. And I think it's a bit refreshing to see them not, you know, obviously Rashford has featured slightly in the England teams, but even when he featured, he went back to the 21s and, and, and yeah. did some more work with them. And I think that's so important in terms of embedding players within the setup and not just letting them walcott on the bench for the, you know, the majority of their international careers. And I think that, that because the attitudes change, things will start to change. And I don't, you know, think England are suddenly just win, start winning World Cups, but I think it's got to be a positive. I think that's I, that is something that I, Roy Hodgson has actually helped with, and that's why he sort of went down to the under twenty ones for a little bit when there was no no manager there, and they and uh, when uh, was it Greg Dyke invited Roy Hodgson to be, become manager, he said he didn't want to, him to be he wanted him to be a long term appointment to help with the entire t- entirety of the whole England setup and help down with the under eighteens, under nineteens, and under twenty ones, um, especially and help them build that tournament mentality because a lot of this current England crop, England seniors that is, haven't actually gone that far into a major tournament before, haven't done a final, a semi-final before. Now we're actually starting to see those younger players now have got that experience to to know what it's like to go really far in a tournament, not really sort of come a cropper at the quarterfinal stage. And just one last point, it's just um, Dan Ashworth was appointed technical director of the FA as well and since he's come in we've had... Obviously, St George's Park's come in a huge uh, level of investment across all academies, regardless of status um, across the football pyramid. Massive investment in uh, infrastructure at FA level as well, and there's a massive, obviously, clearly a change in mentality at that level to want to win stuff incredibly early in your career, and it's all going to filter up. So, in the future, is really, really bright. Uh, and bring, more- sorry, I was going to say, and bringing that back to Fulham, actually, the not the investment uh, that clubs. Are making in their youth setup, I'm sure, has contributed massively to what we're seeing. And I think Fulham is definitely one of the leading academies in the country. That and as we can see with the fact that Eden and Sessignon really contributing mm-hmm. to uh, the under 19s this summer. Did you think it was quite interesting that Fulham have accepted the invitation to be part of the checker trade this season? So the Fulham under 23s are going to be part of the checker trade trophy. It was very controversial. Hashtag B team boycott last season. Do you though think it might give Fulham some positives uh, from a slightly selfish point of view that our under twenty threes are gonna play more tournament football rather than just well, one game against Wickham Wanderers in August? Yeah, I I am very much on board with that because as a as as all of you know, I've watched Spanish football a lot and 
I think the inclusion of having B teams in second and third division football playing against men that actually, you know, need to earn that money to put food on the table and pay for their houses and that sort of thing, rather than being in a shielded academy environment, is really, really good for them. It means that they can sort of transfer seamlessly into first team football when they need to. So I think like playing in this checker trade trophy is going to be really good for the, especially that age group. Uh, it's becoming across like likes of Crawley um, and, and a couple of others, Charlton as well, right? So um, I think that would be really good for them, um, especially long term. Uh, I can see the negativity from the first team pro, shall we say. Um, but you know, I think for in terms of being selfish, I think it's good for us, Jack. I think Sarah? it's a good thing for us. I think it's a bad thing in general. Mm. I really, I feel quite bad for the, you know, pe- people who are supporting, you know, these teams that are, are really, you know, struggling or floundering in these divisions and, and I've been to, you know, when it was the Johnson's Paint Trophy final, I went, I've been to that. I went to the FA Trophy final when Darlington got there and, and you know, as a day out. And it's a really good day out for those fans who don't get those days out very often. And I think it's it's harsh on them to take away, you know, a big chance of some sort of silverware and a, and a day out at Wembley. And, you know, the, all fans kind of dream of those big days out at Wembley where you win something. And it doesn't matter at the point whether it's the Checkered Trade Trophy or the FA Trophy or the FA Vars even, you know, it's all trophies and days out and, and and winning things and it's that kind of thing and i think that you know now you've got players like tottenham under eight to under 23s and they're tottenham under 23s are going to be unbelievable that is in they just are they're just gonna they have an unbelievably like top quality academy with you know quality players and a manager that believes in the kind of youth setup and i think that that's got to be a bad thing for you know the general lower league teams excuse my ignorance can the under 23 teams go all the way to wembley yeah because well, it didn't happen last season. No, I didn't no, know. Was they all got knocked, knocked out. out. But yeah. it, it can happen. And, and you know, yeah, it's, it's, it's good for us. It's good that the under-23s are going to get game and, and, and play against these teams and they're going to develop as footballers. But is it going to develop them more than going out on loan? Maybe not. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things that's hard to, hard to put a measure on. Um, but do you remember when um, pretty much the Arsenal 4th eleven used to steamroll through the League Cup until like the quarter-final stage when Arsene Wenger... Yeah, it, it you know like even it was like the Arsenal sort of like fourth eleven under nineteens under twenties used to play like you know the Wickham's the the Crawleys and used to just absolutely blitz them to to death. They'd be so fast they just yeah. couldn't it wouldn't be a game and it would get to the point where until the only reason they would ever lose is they'd lose on like a dodgy pitch which yeah. they'd actually the team had actually ruined on purpose <laughs> in order that they could stop the kind of football that Arsenal were playing and. It gets to that kind of point where you're like, oh, for us, it doesn't matter if our under-23s get knocked out in the you know quarterfinals because, meh. Like, yeah. as in, am I going to... Yeah, would I, I would go and support the under-23s at Wembley. Would it feel hollow completely? Yeah. And, you know, imagine if our only trip to Wembley was with the under-23s in the Checker Trade final and there would be such a sort of... Yeah. A, a hollow ring to that kind of day out at Wembley. Whereas for a fan of Oxford United, that would be an amazing, you know, amazing day out. And Oxford United have brilliant fans. Which is... <laughs> Just one of those things that it feels a bit false for me. Yeah. And yeah, I'm glad I mean, they're going to get you, games. Would you, if Fulham under 23s get to the final, would you? Would you go? Yeah, I would. Yeah. I'd go but, for the interest and the and chance to go to Wembley. But it would. Would feel... I be posting it all over the, the thing? You'd be like, oh, Checker Trade champions, we love it. No, probably not. Like, <laughs> um, I, you know, it's a cup competition at the end of the day. Um, it, you, I think you hit the nail on the head. Is it good for Fulham? Yes. Is it, if it, is it bad for the cl- competition? Yes. Um, I think one person that will probably like it is George Williams. <laughs> probably yeah, get love it. Yeah. Probably Fine. love it. Finally get a game. 10 million goals. Yeah. 
Right, well, we'll move on from the Checker Trade Trophy and we're going to move on to talking about Diego Roland and we're going to speak to our very own French correspondents. Fulhamish is going international. Uh, Mr. So, Worldwide. Exactly. Uh, so we're going to speak to Jean-Sébastien Grand. Uh, he's actually a mate of mine from Paris. Uh, I'm not going to lie to you, but he is an actual genuine journalist. He works for football.fr, which is basically football.com <laughs> for France. Wait, uh, I need to write that one down. <laughs> yeah, go check it out. There's some great French articles if you can re if you can read or speak French. Uh, and we started off by asking him uh, what kind of impact he thinks Diego Roland could have at Fulham if the move happens. Diego Roland, oh Diego Roland. So well, you can see uh, his numbers. Is a statistic. Nine goals uh, this year, 15 goals uh, two years ago. Okay, you can say uh, he's a good player in League One, but uh, it, it's not true. <laughs> it's not exactly the, the reality of uh, this player. Uh, maybe he could fit in Championship, but uh, in League One, he's not a very, very big player. Would Bordeaux be happy to sell him? Do, they, do you think they've got replacements in yeah. place? You, you, know, you know, I got some friends from Bordeaux. They love a lot of uh, Bordeaux and they hate Diego Roland, uh, and I, I say hello to Guillaume because he, he, he told me a lot about uh, Diego Roland. Diego Roland, it's very important to say that uh, he's leaving this summer because he lost his place in, in the team uh, this season. It's simple. Uh, Bordeaux changed the, the, the coach uh, last year with a young uh, and modern uh, coach, Josna Gorvenek. And Bordeaux wants to play a, a good football with a lot of uh, passes. And uh, there is three young guys Three young players who were very good this season and they are all smarter than Diego Roland. So Diego Roland uh, lost his place in the team. That's why he's leaving uh, Bordeaux in the in this summer. What kind of player um, is Diego Roland? What's his style? So, I, I, I say it's an average player in League One. So he got so be careful. He got some technique. He's fast. He can score a lot of goals. He can be genius sometimes. No worries. But He's not very good to 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 to, to something. He's not very good to special thing. That's why in in Bordeaux they never found his right position in the field. Uh, he's not a, a good target. He's not a good striker. Uh, he's not very good uh, with his head, and he's not a very good winger. Uh, I think his best position is the is support center for one. You know, uh, with a second striker, with a with another striker. I think he could be very good in Fulham in this position. But if you if you play in four three three, uh, he's not the the best player in the in the market in in France. Do you think then that the Premier League would be a step above a step too far for Diego Roland? Therefore, the second tier of English football may be a more natural fit. Yeah, it's more natural because I I think it's too difficult in Premier League. There is a lot of French players uh, who crash in Premier League. You know, in Sunderland there is Didier Dong. From Lorient, mm. the, 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 the most signing uh, for Black Cat, and he's not a very good player in Premier League. And in, in France, he, he was good because he got a lot of physique. But uh, in Premier League, there is physique, but you have to you have to think a lot. And Diego Roland, maybe with the the, the, the Premier League uh, rhythm, he he could be a, a bad a bad player. What is it about yep. um, Diego Roland that Bordeaux don't like? Is it his attitude, his, his work rates, um, his lack of technique? Like what, what is it they don't like? I think he's a good guy because he's very smiley. He smiles every, every time. And he's in Bordeaux for maybe five or six years. But that's why we, all the, the, the League One fans, we 
see that Di Goran is not a very good player. He's a good player, but he missed something. He, he missed the, you know, he, sometimes he, he disappears uh, for mm. one month, for two months. He played 10 games, uh, no goals, no assists, and sometimes he, he scores a, a beautiful goal. That's why you have a lot of good highlights uh, of uh, Di Goran, but in one season, there is no, there is no, it's not very, it's not very good every game. Mm. So it's Diego Roland. We know a lot about Diego Roland and uh, and uh, him. So, yeah, I think it's quite clear that he's he comes in and out of games, and he's as you say, he's quite capable of the genius. But there's mm. someone else who mm. we've been linked with, um, who also plays for Bordeaux as uh, left back, Maxime Pongier, is if mm. that's how I've said it right. Can you tell us a little bit about him? I mean, I've watched him a few times. He looks very solid. He's quite a fast player and he's a yeah. good crosser. But what else is he good at? Yeah, it's a fast player, pretty powerful. Uh, it's funny because I, I prefer Maxime Punje more than uh, Di Goran. <laughs> uh, it, it could be a good surprise. I think this guy, Maxime Punje, he can play in Premier League in, in a couple of years. He's still young. He's 22, I think. I don't remember. Yep. And he was very promising a couple of years ago. But it's very simple. He was injured a lot of times uh, this last year. We can say he's injury prone, like in NBA, I say injury prone. Yep. Maybe just unlucky with injuries. And I think in another life, in another country, far from uh, his hometown, because he's from Bordeaux, he, he could focus on football. And uh, he could be a good player in championship um, after in Premier League. So maybe it's a, it's a skill. And last year, JS, uh, Fulham yeah, signed um, Niskin Scabano and also Floyd Aite from the French mm-hmm. leagues. Uh, and they both made really good impacts uh, on Fulham's season. Yeah. Um, was that expected for you that they'd come and do a very good job for Fulham last season from what you'd seen of them before? They joined Fulham. You know, I think he got uh, 25 now. This guy, uh, Nisken Skebano, and yeah, he's 25. He play, yeah, he played for Paris Saint Germain in maybe five or six years ago. So he was too young to be to be good in Paris Saint Germain. But in so he played for uh, under 20 for France, and he was uh, he was promising. And you you know sometimes players need to play a lot of games and they got to to be adults to be a good player and I think Niskan Skebano is a good player and he he, he was he was a, a good uh, young player and now I'm uh, I'm very happy to to see him uh, uh, in a good shape in in Fulham. One question for me just finally is yeah we're seeing a lot of players come over from France and especially now at championship level um, mm-hmm. Birmingham have just signed Czech uh, Undoy from Angers and there's a couple more that have mm-hmm. come over uh, in this summer why do you think it is that we are now looking at France as a market and why do you think it is that France as a whole are producing so many yeah. good players you know in France we, we love English football and we, we watch a lot of Premier League games and we, we, we see that it's very difficult to play in Premier League. So there, there, is, there is a lot of players who, who say, ah, I can, I can try in championship and after maybe I, I, could, I could play in the Premier League. And Sheik Ndoy, for example, is a very, very good guy and mm-hmm. very, he's, he's Premier League ready. I, I, can, I can say that because he's very physical and 
is very very good uh, in with his head so it's a very it's a it's a good choice from uh, I don't remember the team uh, Birmingham 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 oh, yeah and yes there, there is a lot of uh, good French players because the academies are very very good and uh, in France we can't keep every young guys because For example, in Premier League, there is a lot of money, mm. and they give a lot of money for the young players and for stars. So every French club um, creates creates a lot of good young players, and uh, that that's it. There is Paul Pogba, there is Ousmane Dembélé in, in mm. Germany, there is Kylian Mbappé now in Monaco. It's a, it's a very good football. We play a lot of football, and we we got a lot of uh, good schools, good uh, academies. Um. JS, thank you so much yeah. um, for telling us a little bit more about Roland Pouget and uh, all the other French football news. It's my pleasure. Right, well, that was pretty scathing uh, of Diego from our man JS. Uh, very interesting. Food for thought. Well, I think you have to take um, a little bit of a pinch of salt when you speak to people that are sort of like on the continent because if they don't like a player and they don't support him 100%, they can be quite scathing of them. But... What he said about Roland is largely is true. He doesn't score a lot of goals. He can disappear from games. Technically, is very good. Um, and Bordeaux are definitely trying to change the way they play. They've got, as he mentions, a lot of youngsters. And one, a Brazilian guy who has signed for them. I cannot remember the name of him for the life of me. Um, but he's meant to be the, one of the next big things um, coming out of Brazil. And he's really had a good season last year. And they want to build around him. So it's... It's understandable they would want to get rid of Roland and make some cash on him on his last year. Okay, well, more to come, I guess, on Diego Roland in the next few days. Uh, you can keep it Fulhamish uh, for all the reaction, fulhamish.co.uk. Also, a little bit of homework for this week. Please do give us a little rating on iTunes uh, if you use it. Uh, and also make sure that you subscribe to the podcast while you're there. Uh, it really helps people discover... Fulhamish in the uh, in iTunes uh, helps the algorithm and everything else like that. So if you please leave us a good review on iTunes, what you think of the podcast, uh, it would be much appreciated. Right, it's an important time now in the podcast, lads. Making his Fulhamish debut, uh, we welcome onto the show Mr. Ivan Barry. How you doing, Ivan? Yeah, not too bad, mate. How about yourselves? Yeah, we're all good, thank you. Everyone well in the studio. Everyone's happy. Pleased to hear that. Honored to be uh, honored to be on the podcast as well, guys. It's. Uh... It's a, it's a great podcast, mate. I uh, really enjoy listening to it. Oh, thank you so much. We're honoured to have you on on your debut. Highlight of your of your life? I'd say it's up there. It's going to be up there. Um, and I know that it will not be eclipsed by the birth of my first child or my wedding day or anything like that, mate. This is it. This is it. You this can is hear. the big time. <laughs> Welcome to big school. I thought that was a big announcement there. <laughs> yeah. In the summer, you got married and had a kid. <laughs> yeah. This, this is how I was going to announce it. I was waiting until I was on the Fulhamish podcast to announce that. <laughs> Breaking news, Fulham fans. Yeah. <laughs> I'm off the market. Yeah. Really um, Ivan, what's your pre-season feelings at the moment? Cautious optimism? Yeah. I mean, obviously, uh, the, the, the last game uh, wasn't uh, the most exciting result. Um, well, at least for Fulham fans anyway. But, um, yeah, I mean... It's it's funny, isn't it, with preseason because you, you can't really read into it too much. We had, we had you know a few good results before then, and obviously with QPR, you know, but then you know an absolutely uh, dreadful one against Chelsea. But it is preseason, and he was trying out some different players. So uh, again, yeah, I can't. I mean, you know, I'm still buzzed. I can't. I mean, I, I think. Um, I, yeah, I'm I'm optimistic. I, the fact that we've kept the players that we've kept. 
that we finished last season on such incredible form. Uh, I don't think it could be anything but buzz for the start of this season. And as I said, put, put away this weekend. Forget about that result. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I can't complain. Yeah, it was it was just an incredible season and it will be hard to match. And I, I'm personally buzzing for the new season. But um, what was your highlight of last season? Uh, Kearney's goal against Leeds. Because I, I know it was just like a one-all. But I think for me, that like summed up how good we'd become. The fact that we hadn't given up, we were that relentless for 90 minutes. We didn't give up. We scored an absolute screamer. And it felt like like every anything was possible at that point. And that felt like the point where we had just turned and like you know people you know people teams were at that point scared of us and even though it was a one all I mean I think we'll all openly say how much we absolutely trounced Leeds in that game you know we had a few moments like that this season where you know we outplayed certain teams I think we were unlucky against Brighton both results um you know and I think hopefully you know we're obviously missing a striker that was quite obvious um, but we still managed to pull out those performances and pull out some incredible results. Um, and I think, yeah, I think the lead sort of sort of represented uh, the season for me. Um, and like I said, even though it wasn't a win, it was it was the turning point I think for me, where I thought, oh my god, we we really are quite great. Um, obviously, it's your job to whip up the atmosphere on a match day. Was that Leeds game your favourite atmosphere of the season or was there another particular highlight for you? Maybe the well, Reading game? I, on it, it was incredible. I mean, like when that goal went in, that place was insane. And I, you know, I'm still a fan. So as, as much as I want to be professional, I lost it. And there's been a few moments where, I don't know if this will get me in trouble, where I just, I just jump out and the dugout. All the Fulham players like launch themselves and the bench, they launch out the dugout. You know, and I just I just jump in there with them a bit because I'm sort of a bit hidden that way. Um, and that was that was kind of one of those moments that I had to get that out of my system because it was so tense. And uh, it and just having that, I can't, it's really hard to describe, but it was like euphoric, mate. And then I got to kind of compose myself and say something. Have you ever um, sort of been so in the moment that you've almost forgotten to forget, forget your lines, basically? Usually yeah, when it's Fulham goal scorer, hopefully. I think there, that was definitely a moment because I try and time it. Like Diddy was really good with like telling me. So he gave me some really good tips. And one of them is the timing, isn't it? It's like you kind of, you don't want to do the announcement uh, when when the crowd are at their peak, when they're cheering. You want it when it's just dying out so you get a second big cheer. Yeah. And uh, there's been a few times where I've almost lost that second moment because I'm still sort of celebrating um, and that was definitely one of them. But luckily, I mean, you, I mean, the crowd were going absolutely crazy and it, it kind of went on and on. And I, I think like, I mean, I definitely heard back uh, on the um, on the highlights when you watch Pat, you can hear my voice almost goes with that because I've been <laughs> sort of cheering so much. You can hear it literally. I thought on, on saying Tom Kearney, I thought that's going to go. That's really going to go. Um but yeah, no, there's there's been a there's been a few moments when I have to remind myself that I'm actually doing a job, um, you know, and I can't just uh, can't just celebrate with with, with everyone else. But uh, that was special, man. Oh, that still like gives me goosebumps. I've spent so many moments, um, like after the season finished. Once you got over like being knocked out uh, by a truly dreadful Reading. Once you got over that, um, I, I I just sit like with my dad and we'll go through some of the moments of the season, like 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 that Norwich, that 3-1 against Norwich, the Aite goal right at the end, and the way Jim loses it 
And little moments like that where, you know, that, it's such a banging season. It was great, wasn't it? It was perfect. In terms of, you know, I and, and that you're talking about goals and talking about those moments and, and one thing, you know, we're all looking forward to is more of those moments and more, you know, last minute goals and more of that. You know, you mentioned before about us, you know, not necessarily having a striker. Is that what you see us primarily needing to strengthen before the season begins? I think so. And I think um yeah, I think it's I think it's not controversial to say that's definitely what we were missing last season um you know arguably we we you know we weren't really missing it at all because we were you know top scorers in the league um but yeah i think you know you imagine someone sort of who played the similar style of football you know i thought martin you know he was he was he was good to have on loan but you don't necessarily think maybe he was he we played such an incredible fast paced style of football especially in the second half of the season that you think if you bring in someone that has that similar style, um, we could be absolutely unstoppable. Um, yeah, so I think that's I think that's what we need, I, and I think you know definitely um, you know maybe a, maybe another sort of centre back, um, and also you know possibly someone to to fill Scott Malone's spot, um, depending on where he sees um, Sessignon playing, because you know whether he's going to play back in defence or I think he, he played so well on the wing you don't really know do you yeah he um we were talking about it earlier on the podcast actually i, I think the general feeling amongst us guys is that we we see Sessegnon's future this season being in a more attacking role uh, rather yeah. than the defensive role and we would imagine that slav will try and sign someone uh, to fill the void that Scott Malone leaves, although we were potentially saying Tyo Eden could do a job uh, back there, and, and Ibrahim Assise also does play um, as a wing back. Uh, moving on a little bit about what you do, Ivan. Uh, if anyone listening doesn't know, obviously you're the match day host, yeah. and if someone, quite a lot of people listen to this podcast who have either been to the cottage once or never been, or might not have been there since you've been doing it. What what's it like being in the dugout? What's Slavisa like? Uh, and what's what is your interaction with the players, and what do you see that maybe the average fan in the Hammersmith end doesn't? Uh, well, yeah. so um, yeah, it's all, uh, it's incredible. Like my first game was Millwall, and uh, you know I'd gone from sitting in in the Johnny Haynes stand, you know where you sit just amongst fans, as with my dad, uh, to then sitting uh, basically sort of right next to the fourth official, um, and and it was it was. Um, Ian Holloway, uh, and I think it was within the first five minutes a, a tackle had gone in, and um, and you know he disagreed with the, the the booking or whatever happened, and came up to the fourth official and you know was had some very sort of fruity language, and uh, that was kind of I remember thinking uh, at that point because because I was right by the fourth and he'd come right over and he was saying all this stuff, I remember thinking this is unbelievable like this is I've just I've never known this feeling like you're right in the mix um and yeah it was I mean that was pretty overwhelming because I, mean, I was so nervous as well I was trying to get everything right and subs and I was constantly thinking but the, the more like the more the games went on the more relaxed I felt it's 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 unique I mean you it, I, the few times that I've I've done it from because I have been up in the stands to do a few matches depending on how much sort of tv crews down there um and it's nice to go back up and to see it more from a fan's point of view as well. But I don't think I'd change it now. I mean, it's, it's such a buzz down there. Um, Slav is really quiet. Like, he's very sort of composed, doesn't say much, um, spends the entire time sort of standing up, which uh, 
I like. However, it does mean that I get a restricted view um, uh, of the pitch. Like when the managers stand up, I like it when the away managers come along and they like to sit down for most of it because it means I get a nice sort of clear view of the pitch. Um, but yeah, it's, he's very cool. He's very calm. I've only ever seen him sort of get stressed a couple of times when we make silly errors. But for the most part, he's very cool, very laid back, uh, which, which I really like. Well, so obviously part of the part of your job is, is whipping up the atmosphere as such as, as we've gone to. And we were wondering, one, if you have any input in the music and things that are played before, you know, kickoff. And, and two, if, if you do, can, can, we, can we make some requests? Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, I don't, I don't have... Well, it depends w- at what point. So, like, um, uh, Shane is the DJ, and he has, like, a fuller mix that he's always ch- uh, changing and adding to. He's a really nice guy, top bloke. And, uh, and so I'll always come in with a few requests anyway, um, which is always fun. But, like, the, the ones that are kind of set in stone a little bit are, like, the build-up music. Really, yeah, of course, the Bolero. We don't want that changed. We're not, we're, no, no. We, we love the Bolero. We're not, um, we're, we have no intention of having it changed. We've just... The problem is, Ivan, as... as a... Shout out for you, because it was you that actually... Uh, ironically, it was you that told us where it was all from, right? Is that... Like, yeah. In one of your podcasts, and I've listened to it so much since then. Honestly, one of my most... I love it. It's, it's great when you crank it on the headphones, so thanks for that. The problem we have, Ivan, is that we've been trying to make this a thing for over a year now and we're wondering if you could maybe help us out a little bit Sammy hit it Steph Johansson (laughs) (laughs) Jack's one ambition in life is to make this a chart in the Hammersmith Fed I think he will put it on his tombstone it will be his top of his CV it's all he wants Uh, and when he says we he doesn't mean everyone he just means himself and Sammy Sammy loves it (laughs) Guys, I, uh, I I I fully support this cause. I, uh, <laughs> it, 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 it's a banging tune. Um, I tell you honestly, I what the thing is, what uh, what what's the perfect time to play it? All the way through it's, the game. After he scores, yeah. on repeat. just um, cheekily slip it in if he scores, and see if see if anyone notices. I don't, yeah, that would be good. But again, I don't know if they play any music. No, we don't actually either. like gold music. We're no. actually we're actually uh, anti gold music. Maybe you know in the in the build up, but not quite before the game. You know, just uh, before between the two announcements of players. Okay. All right. Okay. Tell you what. I'll. Uh, yeah. I I reckon. Uh, I reckon they'll play that. Honestly. Make sure it's um, not against Sheffield Wednesday, actually, because they actually do sing that as their that kind of theme tune song. That's the only. Um, I think. Lot- you're now giving me guys. I'm just, I'm just feeding you stuff, Ivan. You know. I'm, I'm thinking. You know, in Germany, how they get the fans oh, yeah. to, you know, reciprocate the announcements. You could be like, it's number fourteen. Hi ho! <laughs> and then the crowd, then the crowd finishes off you, Ivan. I think that's the way forward. I would love that. The problem is, it's like there must be. I don't know how it got that good. There's a few teams, and even is it Crystal Palace that? Yeah, they yeah. do as well. Striker, and they chant it back. And well, I would love to do something like that, but I feel like, you know, when you start something out, it's always a bit rubbish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? And I've got a feeling like I'm going to do, like, a few games and it's no one's responding, and I just, it, I absolutely tank it. Maybe but we should I, just... At what point does it get that good, you know? Maybe we should, like, make this a crusade of the podcast. <laughs> you know, make, get the response, the call and response going with Ivan. No, friends yeah, of the pod. Maybe we can do some sort of, uh, like... Uh, it sounds like like a bit pantomime, but like before the match, like I'll come and stand in front of a hammy end and just see if I can do like practice some call and responses. I love it. Yeah, I don't get like 
clappers thrown at me or something like that. Loudspeaker in one hand, flare in the other. <laughs> <laughs> that would be amazing. I'm down with giving that a try. Ivan, thank you so much for coming on Fulham. It's really interesting to chat to you and hopefully we'll be able to get you on a few more times during the season. Yeah, it sounds good, guys. I think it's, uh, it's going to be a good one and uh, I'm looking forward to uh, hearing your podcast along the way. It's going to be a top season, I reckon. Beautiful. Cheers, Ivan. Cheers, Ivan. Nice one, guys. Well, thank you so much to Ivan for being on the Fulhamish podcast today. And thank you to our other guests, uh, Jean-Sébastien Grand. What a name. JS for short. And also to Dean Jones of Bleacher Report as well uh, for his insights on Slavisa Jukanovic. Jack, are we going to have time for any questions today? I don't think so. We have answered the majority of questions throughout the, the podcast. So we're hoping that those ones are happy with their responses but also there's a couple we're not going to get round to today but we'll keep for next week when we do a bit of a bumper podcast with questioners so that's gonna happen next week hold on to your hats hold on to your horses and we'll be back for you next week yeah we'll do a bit of a bumper question session so uh, what's coming up in the next week i think we're playing west ham on thursday uh, over in the austria tour that starts and also on saturday we're then playing darmstadt dom, dom on the spot correspondent <laughs> dom betts will be all over it domstadt domstadt, domstadt. Yeah. there we go is he going which games is he going to he's going to darmstadt okay well uh, hopefully we'll be able to hear from dom one way or another next week on his thoughts uh, either if he's on the podcast if not we might give him, we'll give him a phone call if he's not around yeah definitely yeah. if um, you haven't watched uh, Tom Kearney's mastermind video uh, very much worth a watch on the old Fulham website uh, especially for his own call when he's asked like what's your top pass completion rate this season he's like 100% I'm a joke. I'm a joke. <laughs> so very much worth a watch. Spoiler alert. Yeah, I've ruined it. No, it's well funny. Um, so we will be back next Monday um, uh, with another podcast, with another Fulhamish. Uh, Jack, have you got a title for today's podcast? Well, in honour of the number of times we've probably said this today in terms of both friendlies and transfer speculation, I think we'll go with don't read into it. Ah. Yeah. I think Farrell might have said that about 54 times today. Yeah. yeah. In the first rumors. phone call alone. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Farrell Monk, thank you very much. No, thank you. Ben Jarman, thank you very much. Thank you, mate. And to listeners, don't forget to follow our Instagram at Pod. Yes, Ben is the mastermind between, uh, behind our Instagram resurgence at the moment. Uh, just follow us generally on all the socials. We're doing, um, we're doing some good, we're doing a good job. I'd like to, I'd like to say so myself. Follow us in real life. We're on flames. As it's World Emoji Day today, yeah. we're doing the OK sign yeah. and flames. Jack Collins, thank you very much. Hashtag Collins out. See you next week. Goodbye. Toodles. Permanently out. Yeah.